Welcome back to the APIs You Won't Hate podcast. Uh, we took a little bit of a summer break. We um, kind of needed it with everything going on in the world, but I'm back today with Mike and Phil. Uh, guys, how are we doing today? You know, I'm, I'm laying on my back, sipping a cocktail, enjoying the summer sun. It's been one of those one of those summers I've just soaked it all in. Super non-stressful. I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? I mean, I got nice. hit by a car, but, you know, I'm alive, so... I can't complain. And how, Phil, it looks how like you're on go? a boat. What happened? It, uh, you know, she in Nashville, uh, street laws and like road laws are suggestions, not laws. And <laughs> right. uh, she ripped through a stop sign, and I ended up on the hood of her car. And uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. It was I, I rode. I Strava has me at like eight thousand ish miles. Um, since I ever started nice. tracking. So the fact that it took me yeah. 8,000 miles to get hit is kind of feels like a achievement. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I, I get like one for every 2,000 miles, roughly. It's, um, yeah, that is it's not like a deal I want. I, I do not want that deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't believe your story because you're suggesting that um, a, a car drove through a stop sign. That is only something that bicycles do. All cars abide the law, and all cyclists are anarchist, law-breaking scumbags. Uh, so really, your story yeah. doesn't hold up to me. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was only me in the car, so you'll have to take my word for it. Um, and I am an absolute <laughs> anarchist. Uh, Phil, it looks like you're on a boat. How's that going? I am on a boat. Um, two days here. Um, I'm. I've been moving around all over the place. Summer's been wild. Cycling around all over the place still still voluntary homeless you know still working on tree stuff and so i'm in i'm in bath which is kind of kind of where i'm from and uh, uh yeah two days on a boat it was just an airbnb that i got a little while ago um for two nights and then i kind of became friends with the dude that owns it and so now i try and like get on the boat when he's got gaps in airbnb a, a discounted rate um and it's great because it's like semi-off grid it's got a solar panel i'm floating around uh, there's got a paddle board that I've been considering getting on for a little while, <laughs> but it's cold. And if I end up wet, this is like my only outfit that I own and there's no washing machine. So I'll just be in like river clothes for the next three days. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it could be a good time nonetheless. So, so how long yeah, are you there I for? I thought you were in the Netherlands. Paddleboard. I was in the Netherlands for a while. I just did a crazy bike ride. Um, me and a gang of bike messengers set off to uh, Switzerland and then they did some bike messenger championship race. And I, I shot off uh, through the Alp foothills down the, through the south of France, uh, did a bit of Pyrenees action, nearly nearly had to walk out of the Pyrenees with the bike on my shoulder. But I managed to tie a knot in my bloody inner tube and get out of there. Um, and then through the desert in North Spain to the ferry in Santander and then got on a ferry home uh, to the UK. So I did like a, a real fast, like five week half of Europe speed lap. Uh, wild camping, uh, sleeping in the woods in my tent or in these little huts, showering in, uh, like washing in the river, you know, just being feral, just like <laughs> catching crawfish with my bare hands, like foraging for fruit and nuts. Uh, it was it was bonkers and really, really fun. Um, but now I'm back in the UK to do tree stuff. So got some, yeah, got, uh, got some trees to plant, you know. How long do you think you'll be there for this time around? Um, I'm not allowed to leave the Netherlands for more than three months, so I have to go back in a couple of weeks, which is fine. Just stock up on brownies and come home again, you know, 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> Got to get your baked goods. They're pretty good at that up up in uh, Amsterdam. Exactly. There. They're specialists. Some, something about them just makes them really Moorish. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's been, I don't know, three months, two months since you and I have talked, since any of the three of us have talked as far as I know. Uh, so it feels like we've got quite a bit of catching up to do. I'm, I'm curious to hear about, uh, I don't know, Matt, tell me about your summer. Like what, what, what have you been up to? What's life been like? How's uh, work going? What sort of life things have you encountered beyond getting smashed by a Buick at a stop sign? Oh man. Uh, Life's been good for the most part. Um, API wise, I am helping lead a uh, roundtable about getting started with Open API uh, at the API specifications conference. Um, was involved a little bit with the API, the Open API marketing group. Um, kind of fell off a little bit just because work got um, a little wild. And then outside of that, um, really kind of lean into photography. Um, we have a local crit criterium racing for cycling here and i just have a lot of friends who go there and i was just like you know it sounds like a fun thing to do so i took my camera and ended up building a photography website um to nice. kind of show off that kind of stuff and then otherwise it's just been work 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 um trying to keep up with everything phil's got going on with uh stoplight i mean every day it looks like he is tweeting out something new something awesome from uh stoplight in the open api world and then um Constantly being like, we should do a podcast and then something getting in the way of us doing a podcast and then coming back and be like, we should do a podcast. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like 90% much... of our interactions have been like, hey, we should do a podcast soon. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we just, it's hard to get around to it, man. It, summer has been wild and obviously it's hard to do them from a tent slightly better from a boat, but I've still got my iPhone hanging out the window to try and pick up some satellite beams. Um, uh, yeah, it has been tricky, but I think it's probably good for all of us to to get some adventure in and, and get some yeah. soaking up the sun and doing all those things before we get back to it. And um, yeah, there is a lot going on in API world. Um, I think there's been some really interesting developments at Stoplight, right? Uh, I have gone now, I, I spent the last nine months getting elements done, working with the team, kind of overseeing that as the like product person, getting to build the best... Um, like my idea of a perfect API documentation tool, you know, that, that does like API reference docs and guides and everything else. Like I've used a bunch of them before. I've recommended, you know, Redoc and, and these other tools um, that, that are, are pretty good, but being able to like plan my perfect tool was so much fun because I've already had a lot of product oversight over Prism and Spectral, like all the open source tools. And I feel like now I've helped get the perfect like tool to complete the three pillars, you know, the, that we've got the studio for designing your open API, so you don't have to write bloody YAML by hand. Um, we've got, you know, Prism, so you can use that mock thing to get feedback. We've got Spectral, so you can make even like an API style guide, um, like program a bunch of rules about conventions and stuff. And now we finally got the last piece of the puzzle, which is, and you get docs that you'd have to sign up for a website to a website for. So you can just point elements, the, the basic elements at any open API file, and you just got really pretty docs that do a whole bunch of stuff. And you get like, you get try it out for free, which some of the people charge you for. So it's been really nice to get that out. It was meant to take three months and it took nine. <laughs> There's a lot of scope creep. Um, and there was a lot of follow-up work to be done afterwards, which the, the rest of the team have done. I basically got the main releases of, of Elements out, both Elements and like the Dev Portal one, which is kind of a front end for a stoplight project, but you host it somewhere. Um, we got those out and then I went, 
peace out and went on my little bike ride for five weeks I'm like <laughs> i you know got the next person ready to take over as product he already had plenty of context on how it works now and does a great job um and just kind of went you good you tagged it you tagged it bye <laughs> and now i get to work on devrel which is what i was doing before but different because in the past devrel was just a dumping ground for like every single task that other teams didn't want to do it was like technical documentation writing and open source issue triage and like prioritization and product management of those open source things and like maintaining extensions and integrations with other software and doing all the conference and all the everything else it was just everything other and I feel like everyone at the company expected me to do these 10 different things, but then someone else would expect a different 10 things and someone else would expect a different 10 things. And it just meant I was never really making anyone happy because they were not seeing me do all the things they thought, but there was just an impossible number of things. And now it's really cool. We've got a really quite focused, like this is what developer advocates should be up to. It should be, you know, 50% content production, 15% um, gathering insight, like 25% doing outreach, and like 5% helping with documentation, but not writing all of it, you know, because other people can be doing that. And we're hiring a technical writer as well. I think we've already got one, maybe, maybe two. So it's like a really focused job of like, you know, write interesting articles that you want to write about and like help other people learn about it, gather information back from people, use that to feed back into product and then like help make sure docs are awesome, which is something I'm really happy to do. So good changes yeah. at Stoplight. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm I'm curious who was writing your docs before you had a tech writer. If if uh, you were only expected to do five percent effort on that, yeah. Well, that's that's the new kind of rough breakdown. Um, in the past, I, I've basically been involved with kind of open sourcing the three main open source tools that we have, and so I wrote most of the docs for that. And, and a few other people from like the growth team kind of helped out. Um, but it was a bit hodgepodge, and whoever got the thing. You know, when we're releasing something, we're like, here's a whole bunch of docs. And then engineers kind of try and keep it up to date. But also engineers aren't necessarily the best people for writing docs. And even if they are really good at it, and even if they are confident enough in their English and their writing skills, um, they're often very technical and have a lot of that kind of assumed knowledge, right? So they're, they're not writing to the person who is trying to learn what this tool is from scratch. They're putting all sorts of technical stuff in. Um, and so it has been a bit tricky and it, it ends up being the docs get a bit out of date until someone goes, hey, this docs doesn't seem right. And then I run over and update it. And that's just all a bit of a mess. So now uh, the product people are helping with docs. We like plan stuff up front a little bit more. So there's already a lot of words written about how stuff should work. Um, and then they can help with docs a little bit. Um, and yeah, having technical writers means that they will focus on on that whole thing, like completely re-architect all of the docs and, and make it a bit less humbly jumbly of just like, Here's a lot of really technical stuff. Here's some kind of vague stuff. Here's some unexplained code samples, like really kind of own it. Because if no one's owning the documentation, then no one is. And you have no idea if it's accurate, correct, useful, like, <laughs> which sure. is bad for yeah. a company that builds documentation tools. Like we need to have someone who's focused on making documentation awesome at our company, right? <laughs> yeah, are, are your official docs uh, open source as well? Do you accept community contributions on them? Yeah. They, they live in the Git repo and then, you know, they're obviously hosted on Stoplight. So it just kind of passes the markdown out of that. Um, but I don't think when you look at the docs, there's any obvious links that says like, click here to edit in GitHub or, or whatever. Um, sure. So I think that is something that needs to be added because yeah, people reading the docs aren't going to know they can contribute unless they kind of open up GitHub and, and start messing around in there first. 
Right. Yeah. I wasn't trying to guilt trip you, but uh, definitely yeah. it might be an interesting feature to add along there. It's it's a nice thing to have your um, user base be able to hold you accountable for things like that when, when you're able to, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Something we're trying to do in October is just get people contributing, right? Like Open Source October, Hacktoberfest. We've got a lot of stuff coming for that. Um, uh, announce plans when they happen. But uh, yeah, we want to get a lot more contributions to the docs and, and to the code. I think I mentioned before, it, it's a bit of a funny feeling when a company, like a for-profit company, has open source tools. There's often the feeling that that company should do everything all the time, but they are legitimately open source tools. You know, like we use those tools for our paid stuff and we, you know, add features accordingly based on, you know, prioritization of customer needs. But often there's a, a feature that somebody really wants that none of our customers has ever mentioned. And we have other stuff to be working on and it's like well, we could we could do this one by not doing this one how do we pick what to do one person on github has asked for this thing and 100 people have asked for this thing we'll probably do the 100 people thing um so it's really hard to get people to contribute to that open source when there's a company behind it um but I, I, that's part of what i'm going to be working on is kind of making it feel a lot more like a community project because it, it really is we can't possibly do every feature that everyone wants it would be you know bonkers trying um and the same with docs you know there's if you have a, a question or if you figured something out, then it would be amazing if you could put that in there so other people don't have to figure out the same thing that you spent an hour figuring out, you know? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, the the act of sort of moving a community from being passive to active and, and uh, sort of owning some contribution and participation usually starts with a few people who are... Um, almost equivalent to like early beta tester users of a product where they're the ones who are willing to be yeah. the noisiest and most opinionated and uh, often most helpful in, in early stages and kind of activating other people to contribute and be useful is an important uh, speed bump to get over and one that can be really, really challenging, but is a super valuable thing to get done. Yeah, we, we did a bit of a funny thing in, in the past when people kind of appear, like when those kind of champions appear and they're sending a bunch of pull requests and things like that, we figured it was best to to show thanks and make it a bit more of a formal situation. So we ended up hiring a few as uh, kind of uh, freelancers. Um, they're like, you're sending a bunch of pull requests anyway. How about like we get, throw some money in there? And I, I do wonder if that potentially might have messed things up. Like, I wonder if we're going to, I'm not sure if we're going to do that again, because those people were either doing those things as part of their day job or they were doing them for fun. And then I think we turned it into a job and started like assigning them things that maybe they didn't think was quite as fun. And obviously the, the less fun bugs and issues and features need to be worked on. Um, but then those people kind of trailed off. Uh, I don't know if that's just timing or coincidence or life or COVID or, or whatever. Um, but there was a couple of people that were happily slinging pull requests and then we started paying them and a few months later they've gone. So <laughs> that might have been a, a third experiment. Yeah, definitely. Incentivizing people is a really tricky game. Uh, th there's there's definitely uh, a fair bit of value in just being the open source contributor and like doing things for the good of it. And I could see that turning on its head very quickly of like, oh man, well, yeah. now they expect me to be here and it's a guilt trip waiting for you every time you turn on your, yeah. your uh, IDE. Right. And I'm meant to be doing X number of hours a week or whatever, as opposed yeah. to like, I'm going to sling some stuff when I sling some stuff. Um, so yeah, like if we did do it again, then maybe it would be on a, just like a per issue basis, just like more like a bouncy system. Like, hey, every time you can get a PR done, you know, based on its priority, we'll give you X amount or whatever. Um, no, no stress, no hassle, we appreciate you. Because the opposite of that is like, you know, obviously it, it can be weird for a paid company to expect 
people to do work for free right and i, I don't want to be like taking advantage of anyone i've seen that done in, in other places and it's gross um and like i'm not going to sit there and say it will look great on your resume think of the exposure like every jerk <laughs> right uh, do work for free it'll be great everyone's an unpaid intern um but there is there is a balance of like you know help us help you like you you want this specifically and i'm sure some other people do but it's not a priority for us please please chip in some time if you can we'll sling some trees over as a thank you right that yeah. that has worked in the past people have been motivated because you offer someone a, a ten dollar amazon gift card you're like eh, screw amazon but <laughs> but if you say like <laughs> oh i'll put a hundred trees i'll plant a hundred trees in the stoplight forest or your forest if you have an ecology account people are like yeah that sounds good that's you know that's helpful and it's the same amount of money but just less spammy and weird sometimes yeah yeah it's a cool idea and it's something that stands out too right like you'll you'll probably not remember what you bought with that ten dollar gift card uh but knowing yeah. that somewhere there's a, a tree stuck in the ground in your name is kind of a cool idea um Okay, so Phil, I have I have a follow on question that is related to this, uh, but maybe also a little bit different. Uh, tell me a bit about how you keep um, tabs on the members of your your open source community or the people your user base. Right? Are are there tools that are healthy and helpful and valuable to keeping track of who is participating and who you're owing responses to and things like that. That, that seems like a growing problem uh, that I experience at work. That's something that we are often looking for better ways to manage. Uh, I, I will turn that question back to you. What do you use? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, do you so, so it's funny because in a past life, when, when I was building um, simple, my startup, uh, we used lots of uh, CRM flavored tools that sort of integrated together to uh, enable us to, to take care of people as well as possible. And primarily it involved um, integrations with um, a messaging, uh, chat messaging um, integration we used on our website called Intercom, which is just like many of those other things you've seen where you get a little chat bubble in the corner and you can talk to a support person. And in the case of a three person company, the support person was often uh, me or one of the other two uh, lads that I worked with. With. Um, but those intercom had a lot of helpful integrations with Slack, for example. So when we got a new message, we would get a message in Slack saying, mm -hmm. hey, go check your inbox. Someone's waiting for you there. And, and that re resulted in a very good turnaround. Uh, it also did some maybe uh, slightly creepyish things about like collating the information about who was opening that chat with who they probably were uh, in terms of... Um, mm -hmm using retargeting pixels and stuff like that to say like, oh, you got a message oh, from this damn, IP address. Fingerprinting. Yeah, and we would get like, oh, it's probably Phil. This is their LinkedIn. This is their Twitter. Uh, this is what country they're coming right. from and what browser they're using, which are all very helpful things when providing support, uh, but also maybe a little creepy-ish depending on how you're looking at it. And, and yeah. if it's if it's being used for less above board things, it's not great. But I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. The useful thing that, that we use Intercom for is that it plugged into Slack, yep. <laughs> it also plugged into GitHub. Uh, so nice. we would track issues in GitHub and we would be able to annotate and tag issues in GitHub by saying that like, this issue is related to this open conversation with a customer. When we close out that issue in GitHub, it would reopen the conversation with that person and say, uh, you should probably message them and let them know to, that you fixed the problem they were having, uh, you know, go, go track mm. them down. And that created sort of a cycle of support that was really helpful. In that case, this is not really open source contributors, but this is like primary users and folks who are relying on yeah. new functionality and reliable things to work. In in my new role, uh, over in the, the world of Google Assistant land, uh, we have this 
sprawling community of users who span uh, IoT and smart devices, uh, smart screens, smart speakers, um, mobile devices, and uh, web-related uh, stuff that all sort of plugs into Assistant in different ways. And it's like really, really challenging to uh, even have a sense of who's interested in what. Uh, and so we've yeah. been we've been working through figuring that out and trying to come up with ways to also track the places where conversations are happening so that we're not missing them. In our case, we have. Uh, LinkedIn to listen to, we have GitHub to listen to, we have Stack Overflow, we have several subreddits, uh, several tags on mm -hmm. Stack Overflow, and a team of very few superheroes who are charged with uh, paying attention to all these places and helping resolve those things in addition to like getting things done in their day job, building new features, you know, documenting things, testing out samples and stuff like that. And so there's a problem of scale that we're, we're running into where it's different from a, a startup where we had, you know, 50 to 100, 250 to 200 customers that we could predictably understand how much time in the day we were going to need to like this giant ecosystem of developers where uh, our, our time doesn't scale as well. So I'm starting to look for tooling that will help uh, my, my dream essentially would be to take all of those places and be able to collate them into one inbox that we could track and tag people internally and say like, hey, Phil, this is probably something that you should work on. And Matt, I know you're yep. the expert in this. Maybe you can give them a response, whatever the case may be. We don't have that right now, but I would love something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of software that kind of overlaps and, and things get a little blurry because DevRel, especially for like a developer oriented company kind of bleeds into obviously a bit marketing it's a bit customer support it's a bit of a lot of different things and it ends up being a bit product and a, a bit of all sorts um so yeah we've we've got the usual tools like intercom and zendesk so that you know support can track who people are and like reach out to them and um we can kind of talk to people in the chat um but, you know when they when they have questions that ends up going to the same places and there's all that usual customer support stuff um one thing that we used to have we used to have discourse the like online forum um yeah. and we finally axed that because that that was kind of put together as a kind of dev route like the previous developer evangelist kind of kind of put that together and they were kind of owning it but but no one else really was there wasn't really customer support like a lot of the company's developers weren't really paying attention so it's just like a, a random place where people were asking we just made a ghost town um and it was quite hard to figure out what to do with that and, and thankfully in the end we chose to just axe it and get discord instead because the only place for real-time chat where people were asking questions was the APIs you won't hate Slack. Like for a while that felt like stoplight support and other stuff. And because people were coming in and going, oh, I'll talk to Phil. He knows about stoplight stuff. We'll ask him that. Um, and that was weird. And, and we tried to get uh, GitHub discussions going as well, but that's been a bit quiet. That, that seems more like if you were going to post an issue, now you've just posted a discussion instead because it's got a question mark on the end. It hasn't really changed drastically how anything works. It's just different issues. Um, yeah. So that, that was a bit of a failed experiment. We, we tried to say, like, if you want to talk about open source stuff, do it on GitHub discussions. If you want to talk about company stuff, um, do that on the discourse and you might end up getting ignored. Sorry. Um, so getting kind of fixing all of that and pointing most people towards Discord, um, we've managed to get a fair few of the kind of, of the team employees um, there on there who occasionally answer questions. But we, we've also suggested that people don't like employees don't jump in to answer straight away um, because that started to foster a bit of people helping each other out. So like if no one's had a response in 24 hours, we'll, we'll answer that and make sure they're OK. Um, but we've already seen loads and loads of people just answering each other like 
Mr. T responds to frog face, whatever it is, like they, they just help each other out. And sometimes it's just like, oh, that's in the docks over here. And sometimes it's like, oh, I've done that before. Da, 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 da. And we can keep an eye on all of that stuff and be like, oh, this question's come up a lot. Let's make some docs for that. Um, but we haven't really got too much further into like weird tracking stuff to a level where I'm actually struggling a little bit to work out who's using our software where. Like I'm having to survey yeah. people to be like, who's using elements in production? We didn't put any creepy tracking pixels in there. And now I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to kind of track usage in a reasonable way without getting all up in everyone's business. Because if it's a self-hosted open source tool, you should be able to do what you want with it without us like emailing you from Salesforce and asking if you want to like upgrade <laughs> and like upsell yeah. you and get weird about it. So like, right. I feel like marketing growth support and DevRel have already had, have always had a lot of crossover with what they're trying to do, what they're trying to track, where their source of truth is and what integrates with what. And, and DevRel will need to have a bit more of a kind of coherent plan for that. Um, but at the moment it's just like, Hey, let's go chat on discord. And you know, that's that. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. I'd imagine you're subject to similar things and, and probably even Matt to an extent where there's also places where you could probably get, uh, information about people who are interested in or have experience with stoplights tools that are not your forums. Uh, for us, it's often like yeah. we have, there's this gigantic community of Alexa developers who are really opinionated and have really uh, built some really cool stuff for voice. And they talk on forums related to those things or open issues related to, to their yeah. stuff or on Twitter and in sort of just separate circles that definitely have some overlap. Uh, and, and I think that um, there's maybe some mission for uh, DevRel to start listening in places wider than just home uh, and to start yeah. paying attention to other parts of the world, which, of course, is something that you're better at before you join the, the DevRel team and before you join the company because you are subject to all mm -hmm. of the things. Uh, Matt, I wanted yeah. to ask you because I feel like you're, you're largely a champion of um, community and in many different ways, particularly around in-person events. But um, as, as a developer who's often subject to using uh, tools that are built by companies, like how would you qualify, maybe highlight some of the better experiences you've had as a member of a developer community and interacting with other people who are uh, on potentially the user side of whatever it may be? It's really hard um, because I think the line that companies have to toe is, is really thin between being a really good steward of a community and then hijacking the community for their personal gain. Um, I, you know, I mean, we talk about stoplight a lot on here so far. I feel like they're probably one of the better ones where it's like they are active in the communities. Um, people like Phil and Mark and other people, um, you see them at events, you see them on Twitter, you see them in Slack channels, Discord channels, they're out there actively helping without um, without trying to make it sound like, without really pushing their product in a way of like, you know, Stoplight is the one true tool to use in this space. Um, I, I feel like that's that's always, that's the hardest line to, to, to follow when you're a company doing this. And I, I feel like, Stoplight does it really well. Postman does it pretty well too. Um, they are definitely doing a lot of different things uh, than Stoplight, but they are definitely kind of position positioning themselves to be that same kind of, in terms of uh, testing and developer sharing experience is kind of where they really fit in well. Um, but, you know, it 
they are good ones to look at. Um, I don't really have an example of a, of any kind of company that has hijacked an open source project and kind of taken it over, but I don't think you would have to look terribly far to do that, to find an example. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, so if, if you're a company looking to do that, um, you don't really have to look all that far to uh, get good examples. Cause you just have, in our community, we have stoplight, we have postman and they're both doing excellent things. Yeah. Uh, I, so um, one thing that we, we don't often really get to talk about directly, but I feel like we're all subject to is there's also this notion of like in any developer community, you're subject to kind of the influencers in that world who may or may not even be tied to the product that you're using. Uh, and I feel like I've seen life cycles of those folks where they start out by being someone who is like very outwardly helpful and giving back to the community by just offering up their knowledge. And here's what I know, here's what you can do, here's how you solve that problem, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually they build a following and sometimes it takes like kind of a dirty story arc of like, you know, let me let me produce a bunch of readiness content and learning content around Laravel, Stoplight, React, whatever it is. Uh, and then as they start to get more and more attention, the tweets get less and less useful and it becomes like, here's uh, 10 things every React developer needs to know. And then eventually it just becomes platitudes about being positive and, uh, you know, like p things that are just sort of click buy my book Twitter. buy my course you know <laughs> like yeah they, you know i mean god I'll, I'll dog on the laravel community for a second because uh they just had their laracon conference and lots of good talks lots of good conference but like every like start of a lot of people's talks and end of everyone's talks was i have a book about this topic or i have a course about this topic and i am not one to hate on people doing side projects side hustles i mean that is how the community gets better is by pushing content but it was just like so in your face so just it, it almost felt like a cash grab in a way yeah which kind of kind of sullied the the conference a little bit because i was just like all right you know like you're gonna get up you're gonna talk about uh security which is a great topic and we need to be talking about security but and I know you have a book because I follow you on Twitter. I don't need to be reminded of it five times in your talk. Like at the beginning, the rough, the twenty percent mark, the four percent, you know, the forty percent mark, and it's just like, all right, let's let's turn it down a little bit. But yeah, there's there's a fine line between marketing content and like I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff uh, that's interesting and useful in isolation. Like this is a, a standalone talk that has content. And then if you would like more on this topic, I have done a book. Here's a discount code. Like I used to put that at the end of my thing. Um, but it would, yeah, it wouldn't, I'm not just sitting there trying to sell you the book for 40 minutes. <laughs> that's a, that's a rough one. And then especially yeah. if everyone's doing that, that's, that's a tricky one. You, yeah. you do kind of want a diversity of guests, like different people talking about different things. Some people maybe from a company doing DevRel for their company's tooling, some people doing something, maybe they've got a book. I mean, when speakers aren't paid, that is what you end up getting is that you are getting people who have a reason for doing this that's more than just um exposure <laughs> right but um yeah maybe maybe that's kind of part of the solution you could uh you know pay some of your speakers a little bit so that you don't just get the ones that want to make money from the talk yeah, there, yeah. there's an in inverted um 
priority sort of there. Once you start being a helpful person in the community, you go from being like, oh, well, I needed to know this stuff to learn to being like, oh, now I'm giving away all of my time for free and there's no incentive to continue to do that. And I, I hope that some tools that are becoming available like GitHub sponsors and those things are starting to help bend that. But uh, I also feel like there's a um, influencer effect there too, where it's really just the, the folks who've made a giant following for themselves who may or may not be continually providing direct value that kind of get the help there. With that being said, there's a number of people that I, I sponsor on GitHub that I think continue to be shining stars in, in the community and I hope are able to, to um, uh, stay that way. So all that being said, I feel like we've got a lot more to say here and maybe uh, this, this would make for a good follow-on topic for us in, in the future. Um, for the podcast, even though it strays a, a bit away from maybe direct strict APIs stuff, a lot of uh, designing and building APIs has to do with building an effective community and interacting with the open source world. And uh, even in some cases, not strictly open source communities that help to influence and build a product. Um, so all that being said, I think we'll probably end up revisiting this one again. Um, I'm really glad that we had some time to catch up, uh, Matt and Phil, and I hope that uh, it's not three months before we get to talk again. And in fact, before we get off the phone, <laughs> I'm going to have calendar invites on both of your calendars so that we can uh, have another podcasting date before long. That's awesome. I, I like our podcasting dates. And uh, I've got a fancy new microphone. I'm going to be joining the Stoplight podcast um, to, to do oh, nice. stuff. So. Yeah, uh, so uh, Boss Man sent me a fancy, what is it, Shure M7 or something. So it's not just going to be like dangly AirPods and whatever nonsense I've got with me at the time. Uh, so yeah, we might actually finally get this to be almost professional, kind of, somehow-ish. I'm thrilled to hear it. Cool. Well, until next time, this is APIs You Won't Hate. I'm Mike for Matt and Phil. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks. See y'all later. Cheers. <laughs>